0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Kanner will continue in the Book of Beginnings, Genesis. Here's Tom. Father,
1: we come to you this morning and we come with everything that chokes us this morning, everything that chokes the Word, Lord, especially our cares and our distractions and our troubles, Lord, and we count on the promise that peter taught us casting all your care upon him for he careth for you that's our prayer this morning lord everyone in this room we're counting on that and we're saying lord we cast our care on you because we know that you care for us open our eyes as we study now in jesus name amen all right now turn in your bibles okay going we're going to be more concise this morning in our lesson here, we're only going to read the first verse. In the beginning... Well, it's a very important verse. You know. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, just a note of clarification, because the, uh, about this first verse, I don't know how your Bible reads. The King James Version reads, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I don't know, maybe yours says this. How many of yours, your Bible says, the heavens and the earth? okay couple of you the heavens and the earth why does it say the heavens and the earth well that's actually because the because in the hebrew the word for heaven or heavens here whatever you want to call it is shamayim which is actually two words put together sham and mayim mayim is water water is always plural in hebrew you want to know why water is always plural in hebrew i don't know it's always plural in hebrew but that's just the way it is now but it's very instructive for us this word shamayim because what it is, is it it's made up of the two words, ma'im as I said, water, and the first part is sham. And so, you all understand what I'm talking about? Say that with me. Say shamayim. Shamayim. All right, good. So we're on the same page. All right, so, because sham means there, or over there. Now, you remember last week when we talked about how we have to become in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Remember what he said in Matthew 18, 3? He said, except you be converted converted. converted converted and become as little children you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven so that's a model for us little children that's a goal for it isn't that how a little child would view the sky or the heavens he would view it he would say well what's up in the sky well our rain comes from there water's over there that's water over there where's heaven over there where water is and that's the meaning behind it that's how a child understands the sky that's how we're supposed to look at not just the sky that's how we're supposed to come to the bible it's a very instructive word right in the first verse of uh, of genesis here and that's how it is because also how we understand creation this is not a a, a a blueprint book this is not a how he did it book we understand creation as it says in hebrews 11 3 not it doesn't say we understand by faith that's what it says through faith we understand hebrews 11 3 that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that things which are seen were not made which things which are which are Do appear. So faith, like the little child, is the acceptance of what it says. It's the acceptance. It's not the arguing with it. It's not the, I need to see the proof first. It just accepts it. It's very, very simple. As a matter of fact, God went on to say in Hebrews 11, in verse 6, that's the way to please God. He said, without faith, it is impossible, not possible to please God, to please Him. Because he says, if you come to God, for he that cometh to God must, it's a requirement, believe that He is you can't come like I first came oh God if there is a God you got to get a little bit farther than that you got to come and you say you must believe that he is and not only that he is but there's something very special about him that he's a good God that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him that's what it says in Hebrews 11 6 So so faith is exactly what a child does and faith is exactly what's required of us. So the first verse in the Bible starts with a a time point called in the beginning, where we see that that's when God created the heaven or the heavens and the earth, in the beginning. But you may ask the question, you may not ask the question, but you may ask the question, what if you just asked the question, well, what happened before? I mean, is that a valid question? Before, what about before in the beginning how about what happened before in the beginning i mean we know in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth that's good but what about before maybe you don't ask that question i don't know i asked that question anyway. well the bible has certain things to say about what actually occurred before in the beginning and turn to it there's something that god did before in the beginning and turn to it first peter 1 19 through 20 first peter 1 19 through 20 this is a verse which speaks about that special time of before in the beginning. See, that's why we only read the first verse this morning, because we're actually going to take the verse before it, the one that's not written. It's going to be the one that's before in the beginning. Before in the beginning. So here it is. 1 Peter 1, 19 through 20. And now look, feel, follow along with me. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ... As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, what was manifest in these last times for you. So what is he talking about? When it says before the foundation of the world, that's before in the beginning. And what it says here is that he was foreordained. He was called to this. Now, right after, we're going to come to it, but right after man sinned in the garden, God the Father, and I always like to think of him as abba elohim you know the trinity god the father god the son god the holy spirit did not did not get invented by some canonical meeting in some roman place or whatever it was but it this is right here in the beginning but we're going to come to that later but anyway abba father, abba elohim or god the father did not say to god the son and god the spirit right after the fall of man Oh no we got a problem. We have a problem now, what are we going to do now i 'm going to just give me some time i don 't know if you had time anyway, give me some time let me let me think about this and i 'll devise a plan that 's not what happened no 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 God looked down the tunnel of time he knew that man was going to sin in the garden he knew that and God was so excited about the plan the wonderful plan that it was going to be realized here to save sinners That he started to work on the plan before the in the beginning before the foundation of the world and in that plan God was so excited that he foreordained the son to become the essential part of that plan that's what he did and so those what was he so excited about well those last two words in Hebrew, in first uh, 1 peter 120 see them what are the last two words there for you that's the part that god was so excited about it was it was he was going to show a, a a a unbelievable glory of his love That you never would have seen before. No one would ever be seen. If one of the angels said they were talking to if two angels were talking to each other and said, You know, I wonder if man actually sinned against God. You think God would become a man and die for their sins? You know what the other angel would say? No. What are you talking about? That's just fantasy. See, it was all hypothetical. But since man did sin, now God has an opportunity to show a marvelous glory of his love for you, for me for us the wonder of the love of god the wonder of it all and so he's excited about that he's like the prodigal son's father you know what the prodigal son's father was doing when he's sitting up there on that hill waiting for the prodigal son to come back i don't know what he was doing but i imagine that maybe he was sitting up there thinking boy when he comes back Oh, I gotta say, which robe am I gonna put? Yeah, that one. That's the best robe. I'll put that on him. Oh, which ring am I gonna put Oh I'm gonna put that ring on. That's my best ring. Oh, there's gonna be a feast. I'm gonna plant it. Lots of food. That's what I would do. Lots and lots of food and music and oh it's gonna be a wonderful time. That's what he was doing waiting for the son to return that's a picture of what god was doing before the in the beginning before the foundation of the world he was thinking oh the lamb of god god my son my only son is going to be the lamb of god precious blood is going to be shed and they're going to be redeemed and then they're going to be brought back and i'm going to make them better than they were before they sinned." now that's why we read in revelation 13 8 speaking about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that was the before the in the beginning part that's where he was there such excitement this is almost like you can see god just can't wait for for to redeem man from his sin i think when it says in the bible in the fullness of time it was like like god saying finally wonderful now first one thing very important to see about god and let's turn to it romans 8 29 through 30 very very important part here that we must understand about all this and so romans 8 29 through 30 now what it says here very important words he says for whom not what but whom for whom he did foreknow, not what they would do, but who. That's the number one, is he foreknew whom before it says the predestinate part. So for, for, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom, not what, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, them he he justified, them he also glorified. So what did God foreknow about this whom, about whom he foreknew? Well, he foreknew who would respond rightly and who would respond wrongly to God's plan of redemption? He foreknew all that. He foreknew, he foreknew that, first of all, all would sin. He knew that. He knew everybody would come short of the glory of God. He knew that. But he knew, he foreknew who would repent when presented with God's call to be redeemed. And he foreknew who would not repent or would just say, no, thank you. No, no that's all right. He knew that. When presented with God's wonderful plan, what plan? The gospel plan. The gospel plan, what's the gospel plan? The gospel plan is a promise of life. It's a promise of life. What promise? Well, it's throughout the Bible. John 3:16 is a promise of life, right? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Stop. Now, right at that point, that's background. It's not that it's unimportant, it's very important. It's background to the promise Now, here comes the promise, say the rest with me, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. That's what it's all about, life. That's, you look at John 3.16, and you can say, that's a contractual promise. That's God's promise. He's drawn up the contract, the promise contract, and he signed it. And then he sent it to man. It's already been signed. And he pushes the paper. And he takes the contract. And he, and he pushes the paper. He turns it that way. And he pushes the paper across the table. And, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's already signed it. And he's pointing to the blank signature line. Every person. He's pointing to that blank signature line. John 3.16 is a pre-signed contract from God. Why am I talking about that? Because I'm in business. Contracts are very important. Now, <laughs> that's a promise. That's a very, very, that's a promise that if you as a sinner believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. Very simple contract. He foreknows who's going to decide on their own to sign that contract and not sign that contract. How's he foreknow that? Because he's God. He knows that. We don't know. You don't know that who's going to sign that contract. I don't know who's not going to sign that contract. And he doesn't determine who's going to sign that contract, his contract. That determination is up to each person, each individual. That's why, as Tim as rightly said, God has crowned man with the sovereignty of choice. Sovereignty of choice. That's his choice. But but, he's got a, but the promise still holds. His, here's another place he started, stated the promise of life. In Joel 2.32, he said, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, shall be saved. That's also, he stated his contract or his promise of life in John 10.27-28. Let me read that to you. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life life. It's a promise of life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, as I mentioned, contracts are really, really important. Businesses live on contracts. I remember several times when I wanted a contract to stay in force, and I remember other times I didn't want a contract to stay in force. I remember being in Germany one time, and there was a particular contract, and I didn't want it to be enforced, and I signed it, and I, I, I didn't read it. How could I read it? I don't read German, but I signed it anyway, and that went to court, and it not only went to court, it went to the Uberlandersgericht, the, over, oh, uh, uh, the bigger court. Yeah. I remember sitting in it, there's a room, I remember sitting in a chair, it was a simple chair, we didn't even have arms on it. Just had it sitting there, right there in the chair, all alone. No lawyer, nobody there. And three judges dressed up like George Washington, sitting there in front of me, three German judges, and they said to me, Mr. Cantor, do you really expect us to believe that you didn't sign this contract? I mean, that you signed this contract, you didn't know what it said? I said, yeah, that's kind of what I do. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I said, I don't speak German. They spoke English. Anyway, uh, so I, I have a very... That was a tough one, and then there are other. Anyway, I don't want to go into those. All right, so contracts are very, very important. One party usually draws up the contract. Every contract has four essential, at least four essential parts. I mean, after you talk about the parties. Now, the first one of the contract is the preamble. The preamble, or the background, that gives you what this is all about, and it kind of paints a picture, and it shows you why you need this contract in the first place. Now, the second part is that the that the, the contract then says, the parties are willing. The parties are willing to enter into this contract. And then there's the third part, which is the contract itself, what it is. And finally, there's the signature line.
0: Okay, so following today's message, Tom, what is the real issue with pride and refusing to accept a creator?
1: You know, there's a great verse that tells us the problem with pride in 1 Peter 5.5. It's a verse in which Peter is saying to the younger people that they should submit themselves to the older people. This is really hard to submit yourselves to another person because it cuts right across pride. And Peter says, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then Peter goes on to say, yea, all of you be subject. In other words, submit yourself, bow your will, give in, He says, all of you be subject one to another. And then he says, be clothed with humility. I mean, these are rough words. This is like, don't just do it because you gotta do it. Put on the clothes of humility so that you see yourself in the mirror as a humble person. Other people see you as a humble person. And Peter said, that's that's how you should be clothed that's how you should look. So Peter, we would say, Peter, why should I do this? This is this is this is cuts across my grain. This is not what I normally want to do. Why should I humble myself? And Peter gives this great explanation, very simple. He put it like this, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. He says, You know why you should do this? Let me tell you why. Because it's a matter of, with God, it's an issue with God. He said, if you clothe yourself with pride, you know what God's going to do? He's going to stick his hand out in your chest. You may want to come to God and God's saying, when you're clothed in pride, you are not going anywhere with me. Certainly not. Not in the area of friendship. No friendship with God if you're proud. If you're proud, forget about it. You're not getting anywhere with God. You're not gonna have friendship with God. As a matter of fact, God says, I will resist you. I will push you back. But to the contrary, Peter says, God giveth grace to the humble. In other words, if you're humble, you're clothed in humility, God says, there's gonna be no hand in your chest. As a matter of fact, my two hands are gonna change position to be opening, opening, in other words, welcoming. My two hands are gonna be like the embrace. Come, I wanna hug you. I wanna embrace you if you're clothed in humility. It's all got to do with what you're wearing, what your clothes are, Peter says. If you're clothed in humility, oh, you got God's invitation, his welcome, his help, his grace. What's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Getting what I don't deserve is grace. He said, you're going to get all of that because I love humility. It says about Moses, our leader, the leader of the Jewish people is Moses. And what it says about Moses is that he was the meekest man in all the earth. What it says about our God, the God of Israel, the God of the Jewish people, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said about himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. Humility, it's all about humility. And so to be humble is to be on God's team. It's to be on God's side. It's to have, God says, I I can't give you enough grace if you're humble. Pride, it's to be on the other side. There's no friendship with God, with the proud. There's friendship with God, with the humble. And then he said, by the Jewish prophet Isaiah, In Isaiah chapter 57, 15, I want you to listen to what he says. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. This is God speaking. He is describing himself as the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. This is the... This is the God of the Jewish people, the God of the universe, the only Lord God that exists. And he describes himself high, lofty, inhabits eternity, his name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and the holy place. Oh, now listen to who he's living with. He says, I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You know what that says? That says God is saying, as great as I am, as high as I am, as holy as I am, I love to be with the person who thinks nothing of himself, who thinks of himself contritely, Whose humble spirit, who actually comes to me and thinks of himself as a person that is crushed, as a person that has nothing, as a person who is greatly needy. And God says, You know what I love to do with this person? I love to revive him. I love to give him the life. I love to resuscitate him. And He says, This is what I love to do to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. If for no other reason, this verse in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen tells us, friendship with God, let me fit you with a new coat, a coat of humility. Please wear it. Why? Because God says, you wear that coat, you wear those clothes, I'm for you. You're my friend. You're my heart. What am I going to do for you? Revive you. Revive you. Make you live. How long? Live forever. Live eternally. Live in my house without days, without, for, without, without an end forever. That alone tells us why it's so important to accept a Creator, which is a humble thing to do. To come to Him and to say, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Creator, He's my God, and I humbly accept that.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom will continue our study in the book of Genesis. If you'd like to learn more about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries, visit our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you'll find more resources to help you with your friendship with God. Join us again tomorrow at the same time as we continue in Genesis.